1: Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are weak as the headwinds this morning include record new COVID cases for three straight days, including some in the vice president's office. Stimulus hopes remain thin. It is the busiest week of earnings season. We're going to delve into that. In the meantime, our roadmap begins with COVID fears and stimulus stalemate. Stocks are set to open sharply lower as
2: infections jump to new records. Plus, SAP is on track for its worst trading day in 12 years, the German enterprise software giant slashing its revenue forecast and warning of ongoing COVID lockdown headwinds for its business. And of course, the race for a cure. Drug maker AstraZeneca says its coronavirus vaccine triggers an immune response amongst both older and younger adults. Carl. David, uh, we'll begin with that SAP story,
1: I guess, Jim, and start asking ourselves whether that is something that is uniquely European or something bigger,
3: especially for mega cap tech. I'm very much struggling with what SAP had, uh, the reasons for its very dismal outlook, Uh, taking it back a couple of years. Frankly, you could argue that this stock is still too high at these prices, which is down substantially, down 20%. They're talking about a cloud slowdown. Can we just understand that cloud has accelerated every business that is in its space except for SAP? Now it's very possible that when you upload an SAP uh, program into the public cloud, SAP does far less for you. Remember, you, you can't, they're, they're someone who facilitates going from the private to the public. You know something, I got to tell you, Carl, this one stinks. I mean, I had the previous, it does, I had the previous CEO on, uh, there was a co-CEO. Uh, Ms. Morgan, and do you know that she, three weeks after she was on, she was no longer the, the co-CEO. Uh, the management terminal here ever since Bill McDermott, uh, who is now at ServiceNow, is disconcerting. So I find uh, their uh, reasons for their decline quizzical. And if you think that they are truly, truly an arbinger of a decline for cloud, I can challenge that directly. I just don't think they stand for anything other than an inability to convert, uh, I think that their reasons are really uh, specific to SAP and not the broader brush that they're painting. 117, I, it deserves to be down that low. It really, it truly does.
2: Well, Jim, you're answering the question that many people are asking this morning, at least you're, with your sense of it, which is, is it in some way indicative of a broader slowdown and therefore going to impact other companies, or is it specific to SAP? You clearly have just indicated you believe it is... Specific to SAP, yeah, not I mean, I, reflective I, of something that the market needs to take a greater account of. They were citing what I mean, muted revenue. By the way, the the call just began. Right. European company. But the call just began 9 a.m. Uh, so we may get more off of there, although we did have an interview on CBC Europe with the CEO already. And we can sort of. Uh, in fact, let's take a listen, guys, to to uh, to what Mr. Klein had to say in, in terms of where his focus is. Despite what, again, is this near term guidance that is not particularly good, both on revenues and on margins.
4: As the CEO of SAP, I have to be focused on the long term value creation of this company. So I cannot trade the success of our customers and the significant revenue potential of SAP against short
3: term margin optimization. So, Jim, margins also going to be under pressure here. Look, a lot of what they're talking about is giant pushouts. I mean, uh, uh, numbers, they're looking about things being pushed out dramatically. 20, uh, 2023 to 2025, uh, uh, remember, they, they bought Concur uh, for $8 billion in 2014. That happened to be a very good company. What do they do? They keep track of your T and E. Well, what business has slowed dramatically T and E. I also think that you know they're spinning off Qualtrics. That's been very, very quizzical. I, I don't understand uh, what happened with this co-CEO to CEO management turmoil. I also don't understand why they didn't. They certainly didn't signal this whatsoever. Uh, I think they had ample opportunity to signal it, and they didn't do it. That's one of the reasons that that we're uh, overwhelmed by this this morning. But to me, this is this is not just share loss, but it is an inability to be able to make a client uh, who moves up to public cloud give them as much money. So in in many ways, they sowed their seeds to their own destruction. And I use the word destruction. Not lightly. This was a truly terrible quarter, but I do think it was intrinsic to them because how many companies have we had on air which just said that, you know what, the pandemic has accelerated digitization, say, from three months or three, two years, uh, down from 10 years. Uh, David, the digitization thesis, which is that the cloud uh, combined with the pandemic, has just been a boon does not uh, ring true with SAP, but it does ring true with every other, including Oracle, obviously Salesforce. Yep. Uh, I just don't get it. And to me, I'm not saying they're losing share uh, because they've kept their core clients. I am saying that when they move them up, it's not as lucrative as other companies when they move them up. You know, SAP moves up the hand. Move them up. Uh, You you should explain to people what you mean by that. Um, Well, you know, what happens is you get a situation where you have a company that's on-prem, on-premises. Yep, and they move up, which to makes sense. Right to uh, the public cloud. Right. Once they're at the public cloud, they can work with Hana, which is the, the analytics analytic system that, that SAP has. But most companies that move up the cloud cloud, you know, what do they use? They use Snowflake. Right. And so Snowflake is or considered- what is a burgeoning
2: group of other data analytics. Uh, companies and software that they can use, Jim, which right. are companies we talk about all the time, which goes back to this idea of the acceleration of, people, of companies moving to the cloud and then the opportunity that is there for the likes of Snowflake. Right. So,
3: so, Carl, what this says is I think it's a false tell. I mean, I came in here today and I've, I've been working on this stupid thing since 3.30. If only just, I mean, just looking at the futures, <laughs> the f- futures okay. And then I makes everything fall apart. But I thought the market should have funcus, focused on Dunkin' Donuts. Because here's been a red-hot stock doing incredibly well and then gets a bid anyway. I mean, holy cow. I mean, if we just focus on Duncan, what does it say about so many of our stocks that have actually been doing well? Matthew Boss this morning talking about VF Corp, talking about, no, talking about PVH, doing much better. Um, I see a contour upgrade from sell to buy. The whole process of being casual at home, another positive thesis. So yep. I'm seeing too much good, not enough bad to let SAP call her this morning.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. JPM uh, adds Lulu uh, to the focus list this morning as well, Jim. It sounds like you're saying, you know, historically we've we've talked about retailers using weather as an excuse for bad execution. It, it almost sounds like you think SAP's doing that by a magnitude of, of X.
3: Yes perfectly. And I don't understand what happened. I had uh, Ms. Morgan, co-CEO on not that long ago uh, on Mad Money and she was very, very strong and gave a terrific outlook and was really positive and talked unbelievably well about the future of SAP. And David, three weeks later she was gone. It was almost like it was Stalin. You know, it was like she was doing really great stuff and she was next to to Stalin and in the next picture she was white out. Right? They just whited her out. They they, they photoshopped
2: easy being on that Politburo yeah you got to be careful right on that yeah on that balcony there yeah 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 um Jim you mentioned Duncan and we just saw the stock is up sharply to your point Uh, not sure we're going to get a deal announcement today Uh, New York Times breaking the story over the weekend most likely tomorrow but soon and it does appear likely uh Inspire Brands they're going to be the buyer here remember they bought Sonic they own they own Arby's um buffalo wild, wild wings. wings which used to be one of your favorites <laughs> um you know who knows at some point if they do succeed in buying this but to your point a tw- it's a it's a significant premium talk as much as a 20 percent premium over a stock take a i mean take a look at what this has done over the last six months this hit the lows in march and then it's just been springboarded um unexpectedly i guess in some ways because you'd think fewer people again sort of not as many office workers things like that but Jim, they have benefited from this current environment, shifted working patterns, but customers uh, have been coming to their stores later in the day, perhaps not, not as early
3: as usual, no, but done, coming they have been. It's done remarkably well. Now, Starbucks reports this week. Uh, one could argue that Starbucks in the United States has not been as good as Dunkin'. Uh, I, I, I have seen a lot of people be short Dunkin' versus being long Starbucks uh, because Starbucks has lagged. Uh, David, another time that perhaps... Uh, hedge funds have been too cute. Yep. What do you mean? Well, I mean, Duncan has been on such a roll. Yeah. And yet we don't really think that they're doing as well as Starbucks. So go long, Starbucks, go short Duncan. Duncan has been so strong. Now, Duncan is just, uh, <laughs> Duncan got the bid. Yeah, they got the bid. All cash
2: is obviously what it's going to be. So it's not like you're going to get an opportunity to participate in the upside here. Right. Uh, some co- combination. But at the same time, you're going to get a premium over the... Crazy highs, right? Recent highs. Well, so. yeah, and the mean, multiple, the EBITDA is a very high one if they, again, get this thing done at the 106, 107 level that's being discussed, was discussed in the New York Times story.
3: But this would be a, a case, Carl, if you really felt that there was no, uh, let's say, that there was a slowdown in COVID. This makes so much sense. I'm not getting that. Uh, anyone, in the, anyone in the world who thinks there's a slowdown in COVID, say you should go buy something like Dunkin' Brands, we should have their head examined. Uh, but they do have a great record of, of buying things uh, inexpensively. This is certainly violative of their uh, of their their charter, so to speak. But, wow. I mean, maybe maybe this takeout of coffee is going to come back. Uh, maybe the uh, hmm. you maybe look, we've got these companies that can bring coffee to your to your office again. It's just that there's no office. That's what's so confusing yeah, about this.
1: I mean, it- yeah, well, it's, it, I imagine, Jim, you'd agree that it's not a, it's not a story about the denominator. The pie is not getting larger, at least at the moment. It's more about uh, the, 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 top, the top number, and that is the share they've stolen from businesses that have gone, that have closed. And you know that story too well.
3: Well, you know what? That is really such a great analysis, Carl. And I know that, that one of the reasons why people hang in Starbucks, there's a positive piece today about Starbucks, is they're ex- expanding where stores are closing. Uh, if you don't think there's enough Dunkin' Donuts, you can go in and get really favorable lease agreements uh, because people want a Dunkin' Donuts in wherever, wherever they are and what real estate investment trust there is. So I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that's been this theme is that if you're a survivor and this is Chipotle to David, what you're getting, if you're a survivor, yes. you're able to go to any real estate investment trust and say we want a deal uh, because the real estate investment trust want traffic and, and Dunkin' Donuts provides the traffic.
2: And they, they are in a good position. When you have leverage like that, you may want to push it and actually uh, use it to your advantage. Uh, and perhaps they're in a position to do that. Um, also do you know anything f- about them, David? Um, do I know anything about them? Yeah, about where they're – that's a lot of money that they have. Is that a oh, problem? you're talking about Inspire, which is Yes, uh, I know a bit. Atlanta-based. They based. changed their name. Why did they, they, they change their name? What was this Well, about? no, Inspire Brands cons- is the group of companies okay. they've already acquired. But oh, Warwick right. Capital is the private equity firm behind that, Atlanta-based large and has grown dramatically. They obviously have had a strategy in rolling up many of these brands. You see them right there. Dunkin' is, I think, equal to all of those combined. They're right. not far off, Jim. But if you add it in, one would anticipate, if I were just th- uh, thinking as a private equity uh, guy, that you know, at some point you'd want to mo- start monetizing. So you add it in. You talk about all the different synergies between all your different brands and your buying power and who knows what else and your management acumen and how smart they are and Oh,
3: I can go through a whole list, be here all day. But then you take it public, right? Yeah. But look at the the possibility that Darden gets a cheesecake has come back. Last week, uh, Dave and Buster's was able to do a a bond deal. Carl, we had a collapse in retail in this country, a collapse in companies like Dunkin' Brands. But as you say, what's happened is the strong are not only surviving, but they're thriving because the weak are so weak that they vanished. All the the mom and pop coffee shops have not been able to sustain themselves and there's no stimulus to keep them around. So literally what I see a lot of places doing is going to their landlords and say, here's the keys and an environment call where it says, here's the keys. I want to own Dunkin Brands. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
1: man. What a double edged story is uh, as the, as the strong get yeah. stronger. And uh And stimulus remains uh, empty hopes, at least if you listen to Cudlow this morning, arguing the talks have not gone away, uh, but definitely are slowing down. Guys, we'll take a break. We're going to dig into earnings season. As we said, it's going to be a really busy one this week. Uh, A lot of initiations of talent here. Pretty interesting. We're hoping for some news of any kind on vaccines this week. All that and more as futures are weak. We're back in a minute.
0: The market doesn't joke around. So why would you get serious?
4: We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why are we going to get areas control areas beca- the pandemic? Be- because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu.
1: Yeah, but- That's the White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows on CNN yesterday talking about uh, handling the pandemic. In the meantime, A Z N and J&J have gotten permission to resume their uh, phase three trials. We're waiting to see if Pfizer says anything this week. Meg Terrell wraps up all of this this morning. Hey, Meg.
5: Hey, Carl. Well, it could be a very big week for vaccines, but we're just going to have to wait to see. Meanwhile, J&J and AstraZeneca on Friday both getting the go-ahead to resume their Phase 3 vaccine trials, both of which had been paused as they investigated safety events. Now, J&J saying there's no evidence that the vaccine caused the event, and they're not even giving any information about what the event was or whether the person was on the placebo or on the vaccine. AstraZeneca says that the FDA concluded it's safe to resume that trial after a patient experienced a neurological event. Event, um, in this study. Now, I spoke on Friday with Jane and Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. Paul Stoffels, who said he hopes there won't be a major delay from this and he expects still to potentially see data they hope by the end of this year, potentially early next year. AstraZeneca saying the same thing about the timing for potential data. Uh, now, some news out this morning also, some reporting from the Financial Times um, that there is some data in older patients uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine saying essentially that it elicited the same immune response in older people as it did uh, in younger people that they were testing this vaccine in. Um, AstraZeneca giving us a statement saying it's encouraging to see immunogenicity responses were similar between older and younger adults and that reactogenicity, that's the sort of side effects you can sometimes get when you get the vaccine. They say that was lower in older adults where the COVID-19 disease severity is higher. They say these results further build the body of evidence for the safety and immunogenicity of uh, AstraZeneca 1222. Um, Now we are expecting potentially to see data from Pfizer this week from its phase three trial. But that depends on a lot of things, including the rate of infection in the trial and, guys, how well this vaccine works. So we're going to wait to see.
3: Uh, Meg, two things. One, did the administration ever correct uh, the president's, uh, I'd say, uh, boastful comment during the last debate About J&J is the closest to finishing, given the fact that they were on hiatus. And second, where are we? The president is also touting the Regeneron. Where are we going to be able to uh, get uh, more of the Regeneron therapeutic product? And how limited is that, given the fact that what we're having is a decline in death, big increase in caseload, uh, Regeneron could uh, really be the key company at this moment?
5: Yeah, it's going to be limited for that antibody drug. Regeneron says you know, right now they have about 50,000 doses and that's enough for 50,000 people uh, if they got the emergency use authorization now. And they expect to bring that up to 300,000 within the next few months. Uh, given the number of people being diagnosed daily with COVID-19, um, both uh, Regeneron right, and Eli Lilly, team. which is also waiting for emergency use authorization, say they expect to have to ration these drugs. Uh, decisions will have to be made about who gets them. Um, So both of them are waiting for the FDA's uh, green light uh, to get that emergency use authorization. Uh, Meanwhile, I agree with you, Jim. It was curious. The president noted uh, J&J first when asked about uh, vaccines in the debate, given it was still on pause. Now it's off pause. um, But they are a little bit further behind uh, in terms of testing the vaccine.
3: Meg, will there be a kind of a kidney list for uh, a heart list for Regeneron? Will there be a waiting list? Mm. It can't obviously just be uh, arbitrary and capricious, can it?
5: No, you'd expect that uh, there will be prioritization made in terms of which patients are considered right for this drug. You know, One of the interesting things that Regeneron did in testing it um, was to actually separate patients based on whether they generated their own antibodies uh, in response to the virus before they administered them their antibodies. And of course, that was the situation with the president. And they found people who didn't mount their own immune response actually responded better to the drug. And if we have the capacity to test people in that way, that could be a way of making sure the people who would really benefit the most uh, get the drug.
1: Hey Meg, really quick um, on Pfizer, uh, Bernstein's out this morning saying, look, Pfizer said it would be October when we get some numbers. It's the last week. In their words, uh, should we be worried perhaps that uh, that the interim may have missed? I mean, how worried do you think we should be?
5: You know, companies give us months in terms of timeframes, and we're still in October. And so um, I was a little surprised that Bernstein was saying we're already later than they expected. We just don't know when Pfizer was taking looks at the data to know whether we're at the first look or the second look, which does have implications for how well the vaccine works. So we could see this week um, some data, but uh, we don't know yet. So (laughs) it's going to be very interesting to watch.
1: Yep. One of the uh, one of the other big waiting games that we're playing here. Meg, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, Meg Terrell wrapping up so much news on the medical front. Futures, as we said, are weak, and we're going to see how the opening bell shapes up in about now. Nine-
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals specialized across asset classes but united in collaboration our teams provide global and local expertise our investments shape tomorrow today pursue your tomorrow with pgim a leading global asset manager this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do
2: Let's get to a mad dash. we was counting down to the opening bell. We got about uh, two and a half minutes before we get started with trading here. We haven't talked that much about the broader market today, although Apple, in some ways, Jim, is reflective of the broader market given Absolutely. its two trillion dollar market cap.
3: Well, you know, uh, one of my favorite movies, David, was Terminator 2: Judgment Day. October 29th is Judgment Day. We've got Facebook. We have Amazon. We have Alphabet, and we have uh, Apple. And there are a number of notes that are very positive about Apple. We've got Evercore pounding the table on. Uh, the the supercycle, I, I, I never liked the super cycle because, because that is what we have with coal. Last supercycle didn't work out. Uh, JP Morgan talking about modest beat Atlantic goes hold to buy. Now, all of these, I think, uh, Deutsche Bank says sell a quarter. All of these uh, set us up incorrectly because it's really not, uh, I think, in, in Tim Cook's best interest to raise forecasts on 5G. Even though we know, and David, you are very good at pointing out the different providers and what they're willing to do, Verizon, uh, T-Mobile, app, uh, ATT, in order to get people to buy this phone. Yeah. So, but you have to understand that if there are analysts who are saying that Tim Cook's going to give guidance, and they will be therefore disappointed if Tim Cook doesn't. And I don't know why he should. Hmm. Quizzical to buy it here. Quizzical to buy it here. Yeah, I love Apple, that. Quizzical that people would expect
2: guidance given it's a new introduction of a look, entirely new phone. Yeah,
3: I mean, and also there's this COVID factor. Yes. Uh, which may cause people to buy it at home, but I think that people want to try out a phone. They like to go. They want to see the differences. Uh, but it, also just because Tim Cook is a wise, per, wise person. But these people are goading him, I think, into saying, look, here's the, we think 5G is great. Uh, and you know what? Do you ever know Tim Cook to be able to beat his chest on something that has that's about to happen as opposed to happened? So I don't understand why these people think Tim Cook is going to break ranks and suddenly start talking about really positive 5G when we've had what? How many days?
2: I don't know. It was last week,
3: right? Yeah, it was last week. What is it? Four days? Yeah. So, I mean, come on, let's just temper, you know, let's temper things. Let's get things down. I think you own it, don't trade it, but when you have these people set it up, you might want to own it after the airport.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's um, Thursday night, guys. Yep. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, Starbucks. It always comes down to one day, and that's going to be it this Thursday afternoon. There's the opening bell. Obviously, Brett's a little weak here as we're back to 3431. Jim? Uh, Morgan Stanley this morning. Wilson says we still like our range of thirty one hundred to thirty five fifty. And man, we have lived in there. It feels like forever now.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought Costin's note was pretty good, which was don't worry about the capital gains tax. I think there are a lot of people when you watch uh, uh, Biden, there is a a kind of. A, OK, rich people, uh, you're going to be paying for all the rest of us. And I, I think that a lot of our viewers are in the uh, you'll be paying for all the rest of us category. So it was good to see Costin come out and say, don't equate this with the stock market. Uh, you're absolutely right. Wilson positive. I don't know. I mean, I come I look at this market and think, are you really going to let SAP, which I regard as being dysfunctional <laughs> right now, determine. It? Remember, SAP is not run by Bill McDermott anymore. David, Bill McDermott runs ServiceNow, which once again was boosted, I don't know, ServiceNow going like 1,000. And this is the company that is coloring our market. Now, you could say, no, it's no stimulus. Do you, who thinks there's going to be stimulus at this point, other than reporters? <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know of anybody
2: who really thinks. I guess no, La- even Larry Kudlow earlier was sort of becoming a little less optimistic right. on stimulus. When was he on with us, Carl? He was optimistic last week. Um, uh, it's hard. It's hard to uh, pin him down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know You
1: know, Jim has been pretty, pretty stubbornly negative on the right. prospect of pre-election fiscal stimulus. Jim, although fun strikes out today saying, all right, let's talk about post-election stimulus. Historically, lame ducks don't get a lot done. A lot of members are discouraged or defeated. They don't come back to D.C. So I don't know. Then you're, you're starting to talk about
3: a January, February story. Yeah, I've been telling people, please don't jump the gun on infrastructure. Stick, stick with the themes that are working. Uh, stick with the idea that travel is getting better. Stick with the idea. There's notes today about about housing. That housing remains strong given how low rates are, and the continued. When you get COVID like this, you're suddenly in that that weird area, uh, Carl, where people say, "You know what? I thought people were coming back. They're not coming back." Otis, which reported a very good quarter, uh, which stands for in some way uh, to say office construction, which is pretty strong, is not up. Now, it's very light volume. I think it should be up because it's substantially better than expected. But then there'll be people who say, Carl, this new wave of COVID just makes it even more likely that people are not going to go to the office. And I think that that does create uh, gloom. The gloom is pretty palpable, I think, because of COVID. Mm, It's hard to
2: imagine anybody putting up a new tower in New York City anytime soon. Right, It's going to be an awful lot of empty square footage. When it comes to office space and a lot of uh, metropolitan areas, although others that are going to be benefiting that we talk about as well. Uh, Well, I mean, it moves somewhere.
3: Right. I think that I thought there was a false tell last week. We saw the banks go up and I was thinking, wait a second, maybe people are thinking that, uh, there's going to be more construction. I think banks were really going up because rates were going up, and that trade can easily reverse.
2: No, but Otis is always on. I mean, China—they're still putting a lot of stuff up, aren't they,
3: Jim? Oh, I spoke with them this morning. China's just spectacular. By the way, not losing any share, and they've also got uh, the new thing that I really like. This is a uh, uh, inter- when you get IoT, okay, Internet of Things. Yes. You are in the situation where, as Otis is, you can get in the elevator as they do it at, uh, fo- at Foxwood. And you can say, take me to the eighth floor. And it understands that. And why is that so important? Because there is a belief, a stubborn belief in this country, that when you touch a, a, a pin card, uh, when you put in your code, yes. and when you touch an elevator a floor, that that's really uh, co- COVID ground zero. As opposed to make my coughing in your face, which I regard as, cough- as yeah, that's, COVID, it's COVID more, much zero. more
2: about airborne than
3: surfaces. Yes, but, you know, people... what surfi- we've learned, although... Surfaces remain what people think are the most dangerous. Really? Yeah. And I think it, that it, when you look at what's happening in Italy and Spain, Carl, it's, they were they're doing curfews because but they were back to uh, yeah. their old ways. I mean, going to bars.
1: Yeah. France uh, did 52,000 cases yesterday. Uh, the health minister there says they, they see it going to 100K uh, soon. I don't know if you saw Morgan Stanley's new base case, Jim, I mean, they're arguing baseline 130,000 here by year end, which would I mean, that would be a dark winter, no matter no matter whether you believe it or not. And there's a lot of projections that people don't believe. But you would not want to see a world where we are doing 130,000 cases a day.
3: I don't know what that'll mean for uh, for colleges. I think that the colleges, by the way, are very torn because there's a lot of people who are testing positive, but they feel okay. Uh, those could be walking time bombs for those who come home for Thanksgiving. Uh, But there's been a lot of lockdowns. If you check the colleges, there was a New York Times is a college list. This the last week was just horrendous for almost every college. And and I think that a lot of colleges are facing right now the notion of what do we do? Do How do we send these people home? How do we quarantine these people? Uh, Carl, I think it's a national emergency, but. Really? In, I don't know. I don't know well, if I agree with that. First of all, I don't know what
2: numbers you're looking at, because there's plenty of colleges that are doing fairly well. And there's certainly the idea that you want to actually keep the students there as opposed to let them back in some fashion. Well, Although, to your point, a lot of, a lot of universities and schools are going to be sending people home for Thanksgiving and then saying, not, don't come back. And they'll conduct finals, for example, remotely and then, and, and then not begin again, many of them, until late in January or even early February, go without a spring break. But, Jim, it's, hmm. not, it's not uniform.
3: Well, one of the problems is is, is that we don't really have any sort of system in this country for what to do with colleges. I mean, we've got just some craziness where the colleges really don't know what to do. Well, they've all undertaken it on their own, and a lot of them have very
2: different protocols. Many are doing quite well, others not as well.
3: Well, it depends on how many you test. I mean, Carl, do you know when uh, the NFL went to seven-day testing, uh, dramatic reduction in covid Seven-day testing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're able to do seven-day testing. You know, try to get seven-day testing for the regular person who's not in the NFL. Uh, I haven't seen to be able to do that.
2: We are doing a million tests a day now in this country. And there's 300 and- 30 million there, people. There are, but it's a lot more than we were doing. And it does enable you at least to understand where things are happening and breaking, and potentially tamping things down more quickly.
3: Okay, I think you should go to Dr. Faust, who is the best, who's really, a, I think he's a Harvard doctor, one of the best got, follows on Twitter. And he has a piece today, uh, yesterday, about universities and coronavirus, an update from Ivory Towers. And he's talking about the University of Michigan announced the imposition of an immediate stay-at-home order for yeah, the campus. Yeah, that was last week, two weeks, I know. Well, no, yeah. but I'm saying that they're studying yeah. what's happening Look, uh, We're on the same page on this. What we're saying is, is that there's disorganization, disarray at colleges, some good, some not. Well, so so you, good. Scott
2: Gottlieb put a, has had his editorial yesterday, right, more or less saying masks
3: would help a lot if we had a nation. Dr. Mask. Fauci said the same thing, this yeah. national mask mandate. But there's a person in the White House not in favor of that.
2: No, that's not going to happen. And you heard Mark Meadows talk about what they can do. Meanwhile, we're still waiting for vaccines and therapeutics as quickly as possible, Carl, uh, to get here. Um, Guys, did want to mention a few other things, news-wise and financial. A company we've talked about a number of times, not coming here, not coming to an exchange near you, it's Hong Kong and Shanghai, but it is going to be the largest initial public offering of all time. We have got a lot Jeez. of details on it, um, and of course, this falls into that digital financial industry, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better term, uh, payments and things of that. Of course, this has been going on in, in China for. A decade now. This was once a part of Alibaba. They do own 33% of it, so there is a, there is at least a direct. You can take a look at Alibaba shares as the as the continued increases has gone on in terms of what this company would be worth. And you can see they're valuing it at this point around 330 billion, 313, excuse me, 313 billion dollars. Um, and Joe Tsai, by the way, you want some? Talk to Joe Tsai just like he did in Alibaba. He's going to be running allocations here very carefully in terms of putting the making sure they know exactly who their shareholder base is. Obviously, a good amount of it is going to be in China, but they're also going to be distributing this around the world. Unclear exactly percentages wise. I'd heard early on it might be 50 50. Perhaps that's tilting now more more towards more China, a little le- a more domestic, less international, but still plenty uh, given how much stock they're selling as well, Jim. Um, there had been some talk about them being added to the designated entities list uh, that doesn 't appear to be likely at this point from what i 'm hearing, but I know you wouldn 't want them to come here
3: no you're against that <laughs> we 're just at a moment where uh, this would be the wrong signal uh, in terms of uh, I think they would be shut down if they tried to apply here I think that I think ant is very smart to avoid us, given the fact that you, this is one of those right now where We're getting a lot of mixed mixed feelings from both candidates. David, both candidates have expressed great displeasure with China on very different issues. Uh, It's trade when it comes to President Trump and it's it's freedom and civil rights when it comes to Biden. Neither one of them is identified with what I would regard as being a constructive path if you want China relations to go back to the way they were under President Obama.
2: Yeah, agreed. Carl, interesting story in The Wall Street Journal this weekend that looked closely at the manufacturing sector in this country and whether it has benefited from the tariffs, of course, that have uh, remained and are significant in place with China. 2018 was decent, but overall, not really much movement in terms of actual manufacturing jobs.
1: Yeah. And now, of course, you got um, uh, these threats of sanctions against uh, Boeing and Raytheon and Lockheed in retaliation for U.S. arms sales to Taiwan of about almost $2 billion. Uh, It's another 9 to 1 down open. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob.
4: That's exactly right. 9 to 1 declining to advancing stocks. And, of course, the cyclical sectors, the ones that are most exposed to reopening, are the weakest. Let's take a look at the sectors as we do every day. There's energy. Oil's been down 2 to 3 percent this morning uh, in and out. Banks, which, as Jim noted, had a very nice move up in the last couple of uh, weeks, or at least last week, Uh, down today. Industrials weak. Uh, Techs are sort of hugging what the S&P is doing right now, and more defensive sectors like consumer staples uh, are down, but not nearly as much. As you might expect, the reopening stocks, travel, leisure, uh, and some of the real estate investment trusts like Simon Property Group Uh, are on the weak side. That's no surprise. This always happens on these. Uh, I want to focus on those European stocks because we're seeing much of Europe down about 2%. You've heard a lot about this SAP story. And what everybody's trying to figure out is Uh, as Jim was noting, exactly how specific, how stock specific is this? Uh, But if there is a fresh wave of lockdowns, as the company has been saying, uh, is that a much broader story? So then it would not be a company specific story. This matters a lot for us because earnings in the fourth quarter have been improving. Uh, I know we're focused on the third quarter, but look at the S&P 500 for the fourth quarter. October 1st, we were expecting the fourth quarter to be down 13.6. Today, a few weeks later, down 12.4. Folks, that's improving. And the reason that's happening is the companies who are reporting the third quarter numbers have been really good, 20% above what people normally expect, what the analysts are expecting, and they're raising the fourth quarter numbers. This story could be in jeopardy if the lockdown, if the implications of the SAP story uh, have have broader implications. So you see why the market is generally concerned because things have been going better. And the bottom line is this reminds us that the earnings improving story and the reopening story is hostage to the COVID story and to a certain extent to the election issue too where there's a lot of anxiety let me just show you some quick stats on the election here because people keep asking me is it going to be better under democrats and republicans in the white house Ned davis has looked at this going back 120 years the bottom line is the market goes up no matter who's in office democrats or republicans in the white house there's several reasons for that but more important is to ask what happens if both house both the the white house and the congress is under the control of one party then it gets a little more interesting but still the market tends to go up it does best when Republicans are in the White House and in the Congress. And again, this goes back to 1900. Average yearly gains in that situation, 7%. When the Democrats are in the White House and in the Congress, the average gains are about 3%. Okay, that's a difference, but it's still up. When Democrats are in the White House and Republicans are in the Congress, it's right in the middle at 5.2%. What's amazing is no matter where you look, the market still goes up, although there are some differences. Why is that? People ask me all the time. And a lot of conclusions people have looked at this has been widely studied. The simple answer seems to be the president is just not as influential on the economy as everybody think. They are not the emperor. They don't control the entire economy. Uh, there are a lot of factors that drive stock returns other than who is in the White House. One of the most important things that experts in this always cite to me is the U.S. is a capitalist society. By and large, the means of production is mostly in control of private hands that make private decisions. We also have a functioning court system where contracts disputes between parties, between corporations and individuals can be resolved uh, in, in a relatively straightforward manner. That may seem obvious to everybody, but that's really critical about why the United States has been a successful economy and indeed a successful country, a capitalist country and a functioning court system. So as we're debating all of this about the elections and the future of the economy, uh, let's tend to remember that the market goes up because of the nature of the United States economy in general. Guys, back to you. Amen, Bob. Thank you, uh, Bob Pisani. It's going to be a busy
1: week for central banks around the globe, and we're going to get our first look at Q3 GDP. Uh, let's get to Rick Santelli.
7: Yeah, I'll tell you what, Carl, Q3 GDP is going to be a biggie. Uh, to see if we completely neutralize uh, Q2's minus 30-something number or not is critical. And, of course, many will say it's an older number, but I think it gives us a lot more information as to how we're going into the most important quarter of all, the fourth quarter which can really make up a big difference to get us much closer to pre-COVID levels. The long end, you know, after four or five sessions where rates popped up, we lost that momentum Friday. We're losing it a bit again today. Look at a two-day of tens. You can see what I'm talking about. Open it up to a week ago Friday when the whole run started with strong retail sales. And the pattern has broken. And we are completely out of sync right now with what's going on with the German boons. Look at a month to date of 10-year boons versus 10-year treasuries. The only thing I can say about that chart is we are starting to correlate more towards the upside. But the momentum to the upside in yields is lost in the U.S. And we are seeing that some of the COVID scare that pushed yields down seems to be abating, even though the numbers aren't abating when it comes to what's moving the euro. If we continue to look at what's going on in the foreign exchange side, let's look at that euro from mid-June. And you can see that June and July were very good for the euro currency, very bad for the dollar. But if you really step back, what you see from May 2018 is that we might have lost a lot of that volatility. In the last couple of months, we flattened out. But for all practical purposes, we flattened out at levels where the euro really showed some strength back 26 to 28 months ago.
1: Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thanks. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, Obvious weakness at the open here. VIX is up almost to 30. All sectors are lower. BlackRock, by the way, just uh, cut treasuries to underweight on what they're calling uh, more stimulus expectations on the likely unified Democratic government. Dow's down 416. Take a look at some of the airlines here down uh, three to four percent, one to four percent, I guess. Actually, the number of daily passengers has been lower than the week earlier figure for seven straight days now, according to Bespoke. That's the second longest streak since the pandemic. And in the meantime, American is planning customer tours of the Max, as well as uh, calls with its pilots in the coming weeks in an effort to boost the public's confidence in the jet safety. American has already said it will fly as early as December, Jim, uh, that Miami, New York route. Uh, But it's an interesting case study, air travel, where it's not really a a story of restrictions at this point. It's more about just consumer acceptance of the safety in travel.
3: Boy, it's incredible because, again, they've demonstrated over and over, this is the the safest place to be if you're going to be uh, inside uh, versus any building. Uh, The number of COVID cases on airlines is very, very small. We had Gary Kelly last week talking about it. Now, of course... Everybody wears a mask on a plane, so we know that that's a positive. Some people have been saying, Jim, stop talking about masks. Look, it's masks or locked okay? That's what it is, and you don't want lockdown. Lockdown is very bad for the economy. Uh, I do think that we have to talk about Boeing and uh, China, because if you're helping uh, Taiwan, you're on a restricted list of some sort, and uh, Boeing has been, because of some defense work, been helping uh, Taiwan, and Taiwan is... Uh, far more important than we make it. Uh, David, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor is probably the single most important company we have when it comes to the red-hot semiconductor industry. And Taiwan Semiconductor is not located in, say, San Francisco <laughs> any more than, than, uh, than someone else's buried in Grant's too.: <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, it's not. You're right. Taiwan Semi is, uh, as its name would imply, not in the United
3: States, yes. And then I'm very worried about it. I'm very worried about it because, again, both candidates have expressed no love for China, uh, and uh, Carl, I, they're still trying to outdo each other when it comes to disliking China, uh, as if America has yeah. decided China is just bad act. But you're
2: not. Why you were it. I mean, you're with them. You've you've certainly been a vocal well, critic.
3: I don't regard my view on China as having to do with the stock market. Got it. Yeah, it's more to do with just uh, I re- guess ge- ge- geopolitical politics.
1: Jim, I guess the question is, how do we know where the, it's the jawboning stops and real? Uh, Action begins, right? Because this has been going on for a while.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it has to do with tone. I'm actually uh, if you're more of a trade hawk and less of a actual, let's say, war hawk. uh, And I don't think anyone's in the White House wants war. But, you know, what I'm talking about is Cold War. Uh, There's Cold Warriors. And I think that's the the Trump administration. And then there are people who I believe will try to uh, get together in a TPP way. And David, TPP might be a way to be able to make it so that things are more effective without branding america as being some sort of uh, bad actor yeah
2: yeah tpp many people look back on as a real lost opportunity although it's very much unclear that if hillary clinton had won that it would have happened either because right. the democrats were opposed to it it wasn't seemingly going anywhere but carl i don't know how many guests we had on when we were talking about china trade all the time but went back to tpp is at least in their opinion having been an extremely effective way to isolate china Um, but very much unclear whether we'll ever see that trade deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Guys, we're back below 28K on the Dow and back below the 50-day for the first time, really since the beginning
3: of the month. Don't go away. Let's get to gym and stop trading. October 29th, again, a big day. Also, Twitter reports. Now, why is this important? The amazing numbers that we saw from Pinterest and from Snap, and then the moves. Pinterest up 184% this year. Snap up 164. Twitter only up 57. I wonder whether Twitter isn't going to report an unbelievably good number. The stock is down. Might be an opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's weird, too, Jim. I think Wednesday is the Senate hearing on uh, Section 230 with oh. the CEOs, so it's going to be a busy
3: week. Yeah, you might be an opportunity then if people start freaking out and be able to buy that. Carl, I've got one of the most exciting st- stories in this market for youthful people is plug power. Why? Because it's green hydrogen. That matters. People love that. I've got American Electric Power, obviously not a hydrogen play, but uh, a- 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 Andy Marsh is excited the Robin Hood crowd. I understand Robin Hood is on Squawk tomorrow. So, plug may be the way to go.
1: Jim, uh, let's yeah pace yourself uh, for this week. We always know it's a, it's a crucible. This is it. We'll see it tonight. All right, thank you. Uh, <laughs> Mad Money, six p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on
6: CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.